Spring Hill, Tennessee. And so every day I'd have to make this morning commute into Nashville. And then I learned something about this HOV lane. It's typically you're supposed to have two or more people in the, in the HOV, in the car when you're in the HOV lane during rush hour going into Nashville. But if you purchased a hybrid automobile, you could get away with only having one person in the vehicle and still use the HOV lane all the way into Nashville on, during the rush hour. And so I was in the market for a new car. And I decided one of the reasons why I ended up buying a hybrid is so that I could just breeze right on by all of those people during rush hour in my HOV lane approved hybrid car with only one person in there, that being me. But once I got into my hybrid and started driving to Nashville every day, I began to realize that there were a lot of other single occupancy drive automobiles in the HOV lane and they did not have a hybrid. And you know, in the five years that I made the commute from Spring Hill to Nashville, uh, I never saw a single police officer pull somebody over for what appeared to be an HOV lane infraction or violation. And I got to thinking, that's just wrong. Here I am doing the right thing. I bought a hybrid, and now there's as many cars in the HOV lane during rush hour as there are in all of the other lanes in the HOA, in HOV. And so then I got to thinking, these folks know that that's against the law, but they are so willing to get to where they want to go faster than everybody else, that they're willing to get ticketed or pulled over just so that they can beat all of this law-abiding citizens into Nashville. So I want to ask you, how many of you are non-hybrid driving HOV lane violators? Would you raise your hand? And then I thought, that might not be a good idea. Because as a way of true confessional, I'm really no better than you are. You see, two weeks ago, Hillary and I were going for our ultrasound in Nashville, and we got a little bit delayed, and I was running late. And I didn't want Hillary to be late for her ultrasound, and so the entire way to Nashville, I exceeded the speed limit. I was willing to drive faster so that I could get there faster than all of the law-abiding citizens. It was a risk I was willing to take even though I knew that I could potentially get pulled over and ticketed for speeding, which, thanks be to God, I was not. Now, if you look at our Scripture lesson this morning, this manager in the story, he has no idea what an HOV lane infraction is. He doesn't know anything about speed limits, if you will. But he really does know something about taking a risk, doing something that he probably shouldn't be doing because he wants to get to where he's going faster than all of the 
law-abiding citizens of his day. This guy probably wants to get on the first century Forbes 400 list of the wealthiest person in Jerusalem. And so he's been doing whatever it takes to get there just a little bit faster. And he's been cheating his boss. He realizes that there's a risk involved that if you do something that you're not supposed to be doing often enough, you're probably going to get caught eventually. That's why even though I didn't get a ticket two weeks ago on Friday when I was speeding, I have a wall of tickets in my checkered past of driving a little bit too fast. You eventually get caught when you're trying to take a shortcut, when you're trying to do something that you shouldn't be doing in order to get to that place where you want to go. And sure enough, that's what happens in our scripture lesson today. This guy apparently gets busted, not by the police, but by his boss for cheating this boss out of a lot of money. And it looks at first glance is that that this guy doesn't get fired immediately. That's what I would think would happen. Is If I caught you stealing from me, I would tell you, get your stuff out of your desk and get out of here immediately. But the way that Luke tells this story, it almost reads like he's been given his two weeks notice. And so when this manager is on his way home that day, he probably stops off at the local newsstand and picks up a Jerusalem Journal newspaper, goes home, sits down, looks through the classified ads, trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my life now? He apparently decides that he's not strong enough to dig ditches. He's too prideful and embarrassed to go beg. He apparently hasn't made the list of Forbes 400 wealthiest people in Jerusalem because the guy still needs some income. He still needs a job. He still needs to work. But he apparently doesn't find a job that really suits his skill set. And that's when he decides to come up with a different plan. And the different plan is this. How can I endear myself to uh, the people that I have been collecting debts from for my boss? Is there anything that I could do to make them appreciate me and to like me more and to, to make me one of their friends and to take care of me? And that's when he devises this plan of I'll just take the the amount that these people owe my boss, and I will just slash it in half in some cases. And then they'll be so appreciative of the fact that I've lowered their debt that, that they'll want to do something for me and the way that I've done something for them, and, and this is going to work out fine. Well, this is a difficult problem to understand because the amount that he reduces the debt, we don't know if he's cheating his boss out of even more money, which would be criminal. It would be stealing. It would be something awful for him to do, especially given the fact that he's already been accused of being dishonest. Or it could be that he's just kind of cutting his commission. You know, that he got to charge an amount over and beyond what the boss really was owed. And so he's going to slash his commission, his short-term income, for a longer-term gain. 
And so that's what he does. Well, I don't really understand all the nuances of this text. It's one of the more difficult parables that you find in the Gospels. But there's one thing that I do apparently get, and that's the point that you cannot serve two masters. One of the things I think Jesus is saying about this manager is that you can't be focused on your short-term commission and your long-term security. You have to make a decision in that moment. Am I going to collect all the commission that is due to me and then have to worry about how I'm going to make a living later? Or can I uh, cut some of my commission now so that I'll be taken care of longer and later? Jesus is saying that you cannot serve two masters. Jesus will go on to say that you cannot love both wealth and money. Now, what's Jesus got against money is the question that I have. I mean, uh, all of us uh, need money to survive and to live. What in the world is Jesus saying here that would be helpful to us today? And it seems to me that what Jesus is trying to say here is that when we pursue money and place it at a higher premium and priority than we do following God, that that money ends up becoming an idol to us. And if we think money is more important than anything else in life, that money can lead to greed. And so I thought about who might I lift up as an example of someone whose quest for money became idolatry and even greed. And then I thought, why not pick on a preacher? Several weeks ago, I'm sitting at home one night, Hillary's gone to bed, I'm watching television, a show comes on that I've never seen before, it's called The Con. And in this particular episode of The, the Con, it was talking about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Do you remember Jim and Tammy Faye? Back in the late 80s and the early 90s, they started a new television ministry called Praise the Lord, the PTL Club. And people watched that show religiously. The numbers kept going throughout the roof. And, and, and I'm going to give Jim and Tammy Faye the benefit of the doubt and say that when they began their ministry, I'm going to give them the doubt that they were focused on God. But somewhere along the way, the money that began to trickle in began to become more powerful and popular and important to them than their ministry. And so Jim ended up going to jail. You might remember he sold timeshares to this hotel that he wanted to build in North Carolina. And he said, if you'll send me money, you'll get a timeshare. You'll get to come and take a vacation here anytime you want to do it. Well, he sold all of those timeshares in, in no time at all. And yet he kept saying that people were willing to keep sending him in checks for their own timeshare. And so he kept cashing those checks, even though he didn't have any more timeshares to give. And he began to pocket all of that money. And he ended up getting caught. Ended up getting sentenced to 40-something years in prison, but the good Lord smiled down on him by giving him a Catholic judge, and they ruled that the Catholic judge had an agenda against the televangelist uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, so they slashed the 40-year prison sentence down to like six or seven, 
and he went to jail because of greed. When he finally got out of jail, and you know, preachers, we learn our lessons, sometimes the hard way, but surely Jim learned his lesson, right? No. He got right back on TV, and when the pandemic hit in 2020, he began to sell this little silver solution. For $20, you can buy this bottle of silver solution, and it will prevent and cure COVID. All you have to do is drink up. So all of these people began to buy this silver solution and they began to drink this silver solution. I'm no doctor, but apparently if you consume large amounts of silver, it can, in small doses it can be helpful medicinally, but in large amounts it turns your skin silver permanently. And so some of the people that were buying this silver solution for COVID ended up getting COVID and silver skin. Blue silver. So they're seeing blue silver while Jim's seeing green. And God was seeing red. I think that's what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy about. That we can get so caught up into pursuing treasures here on earth that we forget about how important it is to pursue the treasures only found in heaven. And if you're truly pursuing the treasures of heaven, you cannot equally pursue the treasures of earth. You can't serve two masters. You can't love stuff more than the Savior. It just causes you to lose your bearings. It causes us to lose our minds. Jesus is not saying that wealth is a bad thing. In fact, Jesus encourages us in many places to share what we have with others, to bless them in the way that we've been blessed. But He is saying, don't become so focused on your stuff that you lose sight of what's really important. And disciples must resist greed so that they can focus on the treasure of heaven.